Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Today, we're kicking off a new series uh, through the book of Jonah. So if you have your Bible with you, or if you have your Bible near you, uh, or if you have your digital Bible with you, turn in your Bible or turn on your Bible to the book of Jonah. We're going to start in chapter 1. Obviously, that's a good place to start when you're going through something. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to get there in just a second. But this movie came out in 2008, and it was called Taken. It stars Liam Neeson, who will forever be Aslan to me. Uh, but Liam Neeson plays uh, plays this CIA uh, agent who is retired after a long career uh, in the CIA, which actually the career basically took everything it had, uh, everything it could from Liam. It cost him his marriage with his wife. It cost him his relationship with his daughter who is grown now. Her name is Kim, and uh, she's played by the actress Maggie Grace. Uh, Kim and uh, Kim and her, her dad, they begin to try to form a little bit of a relationship, but Kim is kind of holding things out a little bit at, a, at an arm's length because she doesn't know if her dad can be trusted. He's come into her life and then he's mysteriously gone out in his career in the CIA. And so he, she doesn't know if his newfound interest in her is necessarily something that's going to have staying power. So as any teenager does, they begin to press against those things and begin to test those things. And so Maggie Grace, or, or I'm sorry, Kim gets this invitation from a friend to go to Paris uh, with her friend. And so she lies to her parents and tells her parents, hey, we're going to be staying with my friend's family over in Paris. And she's lying because they're going to be staying alone there in Paris as teenage girls. Now, dad, of course, knowing the worst of humanity and the worst of all the things that go on in the world is saying, no, that ain't going to happen over my dead body. I don't care who is with you. Unless I'm with you, you're not going. Well, they begin to talk about it and he begins to wear down a little bit and he decides to let her go against his better judgment. As she gets there, all of a sudden, what the scene that you're seeing on your screen uh, right now in front of you is a phone conversation that is probably the most tragic and the most like intense phone conversation that has ever been recorded on film, probably. It's as a father talks to his daughter who is laying under a bed right now trying to hide from people who had broken into the apartment as she's there all alone. These people had been tracking, they were Albanian sex traffickers, they had been tracking her ever since she landed in Paris and had tracked her to this place and tracked her for a couple of days realizing that she was all alone and now they decided they were going to swoop in and they were going to kidnap her. Liam Neeson has probably a dad's worst nightmare come true as he listens on the phone as his daughter is kidnapped. And he says to her as she is going, now he is highly trained, he's highly skilled and he says to her, stay alive. No matter what happens, stay alive, and I will find you. From that point, from that point, the agent knows that he has about 96 hours at the most to find his daughter, to locate her, and to rescue her before she disappears and is never heard from again. Now, I don't know about you. Anybody else out here, girl dads? Anybody else out here, girl dads? Your dads of girls? Yeah. Uh, how, how, how hard would it be to have to go through that? And you know what I know. There is not one thing that would stop me, and there's not one moment that I would not spend trying to find my daughters. He goes on this. The movie tracks him as he goes through all of these things and all these obstacles, and he is beaten and battered and bruised, and he's having to go to these horrible places to try to track his daughter down, and he finally tracks her down. 
She's been sold to an Arab sheikh on a yacht, and he's about to sail away and off uh, out into God knows where, and she would probably never be heard from again when he finally tracks her down, and he gets on this yacht, and he finds there's this final showdown scene where all of the bad guys are finally taken care of, and it's just him and his daughter standing in the room, and she's standing there, and you can tell she's a shell of what she used to be, and she looks in disbelief at her dad, and she says, Daddy, you came and she grabs him, and this is the next picture that you see as they hug, and he says, I told you that I would. I told you that I would come for you. This is the idea that we get as we travel through the book of Jonah. We see a prophet who is, one of the, is just a chosen man of God, but yet he decides to run from God. Against God's best wishes, against God's best advice, he runs in the opposite direction of God's will, and God is basically saying to him, stay alive, I'll keep you alive, I will find you, my grace will catch up with you. And that's the title of the sermon this morning, His Grace Found Jonah. Now a lot of times when we look at the book of Jonah, we look at his disobedience, we look at the fish, we look at all of those things, and to be honest with you, the book of Jonah does not end in a happy ending really. It's kind of like you're kind of like left with this taste in your mouth, kind of like, wow, what did I just read? And, and did Jonah learn anything? And I think that's kind of represent, representative of us because I think that we're still an open book. We're still an open story. We're left kind of wondering, did Jonah ever get it? But I, I like what VeggieTales said about Jonah. He was the prophet who never really got it. All right, because Jonah, no matter how many times God shows up with his grace, Jonah seems to just not get it completely. Here's my hope for us. I hope that through this series, we see this thread of God's grace that runs through this, that no matter how far we run, no matter how many times we run, God's grace pursues us, and God's grace will catch up. God's grace will catch up with us. See, the story of Jonah, we're looking at this story, and, and, and in the first chapter, we see that Jonah checks into the humpback hotel, all right? You get that it's a little preacher humor, uh, you know, humpback is a whale, and you know, you get that. So, uh, preacher humor is really bad, right? So are dad jokes. Now, I want you to pray for my daughters, because they've got dad, I, I tell a lot of dad jokes, and then they've also got to put up with my preacher jokes, too. So, they've got a double whammy. So, y'all pray for Natalie and Noel, and also pray for Stacy, because here's what I've gotten used to. I've gotten used to trying to be funny, and all I get is... Oh. You see, God, God brings this whale, and we, we talk about the whale, we talk about what Jonah did and all that stuff, but I think we miss sometimes the, the best part of the story, the real story. See, the true star of this story is not Jonah. The true star of the story is not even the whale or the fish or whatever it, wants to, or whatever it ended up being. The true story is not, isn't, the true star is not that. The true star is not the Ninevites who were so terrifying and who were too, so scary. The true star of the story as is the star of the entire Bible, is God. The true star is a God who loves and cares enough to pursue us even when we don't want to be pursued. Even when we try to run away, he pursues us not because he's trying to capture us and hold us captive, but because he knows that's what's best for us. Because he knows that near us is the best and safest place that we can be. Like a loving parent who goes after and runs after a child who doesn't know any better, this is what God does for us our entire life. I love the line of the song that we just heard today. Your goodness is running after me. His goodness runs after us all the time. Now, of course, the whale and, of course, Jonah are important to the story, but only in comparison to this relentlessly gracious God. Because you have, in light of this re relentlessly gracious God, you have this reluctant prophet who continually tries to run and who is a lot more like us than we would like to admit. 
See, a lot of times we look at Jonah, and what we do is like, man, why did Jonah run? I would never do that, because we always have the privilege as readers of Scripture to be able to read the story and know what's going to happen at the end. But if I were Jonah, what would I do? And I can tell you there's so many times in my life when I have been Jonah. A lot more than I haven't been. And I think if we're all honest, that's kind of the way all of us are. So the true, star, the true star of the story is God, and the supporting cast is the whale and Jonah and all of that. And so this story is awesome. And many of you have probably heard it from the time you were kids in church. So what I want to challenge you to do is to hear this story this, this month again for the very first time. Because I can guarantee you there are things that you thought you knew that you don't know. And over this, over this series, the, next, the two things I'm really praying will happen is, number one, is that we'll develop a greater appreciation of the love of a God who constantly pursues us even when we run away from him. I pray that through this series we'll come to understand God as gooder or better than we could have ever imagined. And secondly, I hope that we will develop a deeper love for other people especially for those who might seem far from God, and especially for those who we think don't deserve God's grace. Because we're in church, right? We should be honest, right? Or you're watching church right now, you should be honest as well, because God's everywhere. There are some people that we look at today that we think, how can God be gracious to them? How can God, they're, they're, we would almost be upset if God showed them grace. That doesn't reveal a, prom, a problem with God's justice. It reveals a problem with our hearts and our understanding of God's justice. So let's dive in. <laughs> Get it? Another preacher, Joe. Let's dive into the, the, the scripture today. Okay, never mind. <laughs> All right. Tough crowd this morning. Maybe it's because of the football game yesterday. I don't know. But anyway, let's dive into chapter one this morning. And if you're having trouble finding it, it sits right there in the minor prophets, right between Obadiah and Micah. And I know that probably didn't help you locate it anymore either. So just go to the table of contents if you have to, uh, and you can find Jonah chapter one. Uh, that's the best book of the Bible, right? The table of contents. Um, anyway, so let's look at Jonah chapter one, beginning in verse number one. And I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible this morning. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And he says, get up. Now, I don't know if that means that Jonah was sleeping or, or whatever, but apparently, as we're going to see later on, Jonah likes to sleep because he's going to be sleeping on a boat, but he says, get up, and I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh, and I want you to preach against it because their evil has come up before me. So Jonah got up, and you would think, okay, this is going good, but then it takes a terrible turn. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went not up, but he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship that was going to Tarshish. He paid the fare thereof, and he went down into the ship to go with him to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind or a great storm into the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each, each of them cried out unto his own God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to try to lighten the load. And meanwhile, Jonah, who had gone down into the lowest part of the vessel, I mean, this guy's trying to get away from God, man. He, instead of going up to Nineveh, he goes down to Joppa. He goes down to try to go to Tarshish. And then he gets in the boat, and he goes all the way down as far as he can find to try to get away from God, right? And he says he went down in the vessel, and he stretched out, and he had fallen into a deep sleep. I don't know if he's a narcoleptic that can sleep through this storm. I don't know what's going on. But then he says the captain approaches him and says, what are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up and call out to your God, and maybe your God will answer us and consider us, and we won't perish in this storm. 
In verse number seven, he says, come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots, which was an ancient way of them trying to, uh, try, to try to manufacture divination to try to figure out who, who the gods are mad at. There's somebody that's causing this anger. It wouldn't be happening, right? And so they cast lots. He says, then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble that we're in. So they cast lots, and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble that we're in. What is your business and where are you from and what is your country and what people are you from? And they're thinking, why in the world did we allow him to come with us? And he answered and he says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. He didn't say I'm a prophet. He didn't say I'm Jonah. He didn't say anything. He says, I'm just, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord and the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what is this that you've done? The men knew that he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. And so they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them and he said this, just pick me up and throw me into the sea so that I will cal- it will calm down for you. Because I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't Let us perish because of this man's life. Now, who's calling out to the Lord now? The pagan sailors. Not Jonah, the pagan sailors. They called out to the Lord, please don't don't punish us because of your man. They picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea. And the the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by a great fear of the Lord and then they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. I believe that these men were converted to being God worshipers this day because they saw the power of God. And they came to have faith in him. And in verse number 17, we see probably one of the most, um, you know, one of the most artistically represented uh, verses from this story. Then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be our teacher this morning. And I pray that you would speak through your word. Let your word have its right effect in us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So, most of you have heard this story, right? Raise your hand if you've heard this story before, or comment on the, on the, on the, we've all heard this story, right? We've all got in our minds these pictures of how all of this looked when he was on a ship. We've maybe seen cartoons, or we've seen the VeggieTale representation, or we've seen comic books, or we've seen murals on walls in kids' areas in church. We've got all these ideas in our head of what all of this looked like, but I can tell you, whatever your image of it is, the fear and the intensity of that moment is not something that we can honestly grasp unless we've been there. This is a serious moment in the lives of these people on this boat. And it's a more serious moment in the life of Jonah, but it's also a serious moment in the lives of people who were hundreds of miles away in Nineveh. Because God had appointed Nineveh, or God had appointed Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah said, I will not do as you have appointed. I will not go and preach your message of grace. I will not go and preach your message of love and forgiveness. And so all of this rested on this, and God is saying, do my will, and there's a lot that I'm wanting to accomplish through this. And what Jonah is trying to do is to thwart all of that. But what we see through this story is, no matter how much we try to run, no matter how much we try to thwart the plans of God, God is sovereign, and God still accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. And when he wants to accomplish something through our lives, he will accomplish it. We can go kicking and screaming, or we can go obediently towards it as well. So in verse number one, we see this, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. 
This is a phrase that's used frequently in the Old Testament, and it indicates to us, it's kind of like a secret speak to indicate that when the word of the Lord comes to someone in the Old Testament, it means that they have got prophet status. They are people that God spoke to, and then they were supposed to tell people what God had told them, and it would be the word of the Lord speaking through them. This was the status of Jonah. If you want to see what Jonah had done up until this point, everybody loved Jonah. You want to know why? Because Jonah had pronounced to Jeroboam the second that God was going to expand his territory and that God was going to look, uh, look graciously upon the people of Israel and they were going to continue to grow. Their economy was going to be booming. They were, it was going to, they were going to make Israel greater grand is what was going to happen. You see? And so he was a very famous prophet because everybody loved what he had to say. But not every prophet was loved because sometimes God told them to say things that he didn't, that they didn't want to hear. This time is a little different. God tells Jonah to go not to God's people, but to go to God's enemies. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to tell them that I'm going to forgive them if they will repent. Now Jonah, for some whatever reason, and we're going to see the real reason he doesn't want to go in chapter 4, so you see how I've hooked you? <laughs> There's another pun, I've hooked you, right? I've hooked you until uh, to come to every single message because you have to see the real reason that Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh later on. And some of you, I hear you turning pages already read it. Don't cheat. Just don't cheat, okay? Just wait. Wait on it, all right? But Jonah, obviously, we can probably understand why he doesn't want to go because Nineveh is not... Um, a real big vacation destination. It's not a relaxing place, especially for an Israelite to go. Nineveh was like the sworn enemies of Israel for centuries. And Nineveh were like, the Ninevites were like the most horrible people that you could imagine. I mean, they had become very creative in how to kill people. Think about the stories that we've heard through history about what the Nazis did, the tests and the things, the, the brutalized ways that the Nazis found to kill the Jewish people during the Holocaust. This is what the Ninevites were doing to their enemies. They were known to skin men alive that they'd captured and then bury them in the sand just so that they would die a slow, painful death. Then they were known to impale their bodies along the roads that traveled toward Nineveh so that anyone that approached knew, don't mess with us. So the Ninevites were some fierce warriors, but they also backed it up with fear and intimidation and all those things. And so you can imagine if you're Jonah, you're thinking, no way, man, I've been living over here and everybody, when I walk down the street at my hometown, everybody loves me. They're slapping me with high fives and, you know, they're tweeting about me and I'm a famous person. I'm not going to Nineveh where I'll probably get killed. So what does Jonah decide to do? He says, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. He says, where can I go where I can get away from God? Here's what Jonah basically decides to do. He's like, you know what? It's been a good run as a prophet, but God, I think I'm going to opt for my early retirement plan, and I'm going to settle down off the coast of southern Spain, and I'm going to go to this little island place, this little, you know, nice little, you know, retirement village in a place called Tarshish, which was 2,500 miles away from where God had intended for him to go in the opposite direction. Nineveh was about 500 miles from where he was supposed to be, and then he decides to go 2,500 miles away, so he's now 3,000 miles away, and he's like, you know what, I'm just going to retire. It's been a good run with you, God. I appreciate being a prophet, but I'm going to take my pension, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm going to retire. And God says, no, there is no retirement when you serve the Lord. And that's something we have to understand. We don't quit on God because he doesn't quit on us. And so Jonah just doesn't want to go, so he totally disobeys. He goes away. He begins his journey by going down to the seaport in Joppa, and he finds a ship that is ready and set to set sail for his destination. And understand this. That's interesting, isn't it? 
When Jonah wanted to get as far away from God as he possibly could, isn't it ironic that a ship was right there going exactly where he wanted to go? What does that say to us? If you want to disobey, the enemy is always going to give you opportunities. Anytime you want to disobey, it's going to be easier to do that than it is to do the right thing. It's always going to be easier. He's always going to provide you a way to do that. And so notice in this part of the story that Jonah is always going down, right? God says, get up in verse number one, but later on we see he goes down to Joppa. He's going to go down south to, to Tarshish, and he goes down into the boat, and he goes down into this deep, deep sleep. He's always going down, never up. I believe that's in a literary way, or that's, a, that's kind of a literary device to try to show the direction of Jonah's will in comparison to God's. You ever been there before? We've all been there where we're wanting, and this is what sin does. It just continually drags us down, 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 down. So God sends this storm to get Jonah back on track. Now, when I read it, when I read it as a kid, I'm thinking, you know what? Man, Jonah was smart by jumping off the boat because he'd stayed on the boat, he would have died. That's, that's kind of, when I was a kid, I'm thinking, he was smart. And I used to think that that was where Jonah repented. Jonah said, throw me off the boat, and I'm going to get back to where God was. This is not what Jonah's thinking. Jonah is thinking, great, we've got a storm. God's trying to get me back. He's not going to give up on me. And what's interesting is even the pagan sailors feared God more than Jonah did at this point. The minute the storm starts, where does their mind turn? Their mind turns to the spiritual now, it was, it was directed in the wrong place, but God brings their direction back, and they go willingly in God's direction more than Jonah does, the prophet of God. They willingly go. Once it's revealed to them who the cause of this storm is, they're immediate converts. They're the first convert on this mission trip that God sent Jonah on. Isn't that interesting? That even through Jonah's sin, God found a way for his glory to be to prevail. God found a way for others to come to him, even through Jonah running away from him. So what they try to do is they try all they can to avoid the storm. They try to throw things over the boat to try to lighten the load. They try to sacrifice to the false gods. When Jonah finally says what he, they need to do is to throw him overboard and the, the storm will stop, they even say, no, we're not going to do that. So they try to row themselves ashore and they couldn't do that either. And so as a last-ditch effort, they decide to throw Jonah overboard, and they do it as they do it, as you see in the text. They're praying, asking forgiveness for killing God's man as they do it. These people are more faithful. These pagans were more faithful than God's prophet was at this point. But God's grace to these pagans meant that they could live. So immediately they throw Jonah overboard, and the seas stop. But what's interesting about Jonah and what he does here this is not Jonah saying, okay, God, I'm giving in to you. Throw me overboard and everything will be better. No, this is Jonah's last, final attempt to escape God. Because Jonah is basically suicidal here. He says, throw me into the water, let me drown. See, he wasn't expecting the whale. He wasn't expecting the fish. He wasn't expecting deliverance. He was basically saying, all right, God, you want to keep on coming after me? You want to come after these guys? Fine, I'll just end it now. I'll end it now. I'm going to go nuclear with this option. And God says, you know what? You can run, but you can't hide. You may not value your life at this moment, but I value it greater. And he manipulates, once again, he manipulates creation to show grace to Jonah. And in verse number 17 is when we see the closing, that God appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and he spent three days and three nights there. Jonah is still trying to escape 
from God's grace. We're not going to see Jonah change his mind and his heart until next week. Here we see, as we close out this chapter, Jonah is still dead set against what God wants him to do. But what we see in chapter 1 is that no matter how much Jonah is dead set against God, God is set for Jonah. And that's something we have to learn today, is no matter how much we're dead set against God, no matter how much you look out and you see a world that you think may be dead set against God, God is still set for us. He still has his eyes set on us for us. And this may give a good answer to the question that we often ask, why do bad things happen to good people? You might want to ask, why did God send a fish to swallow up Jonah? Because that wasn't a good thing. If you've ever been in the belly of fish, none of us have been in the belly of a fish, right? I would imagine it's not a good thing. But why do bad things happen to, God, to good people sometimes? Because that's what God does to show grace. In the midst of it, his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. So this is where we come to the big idea of the message today. And then I want to give you four very quick lessons. This is, I mean, very quick, like, things that we can pull from this and close out today. We all know what happens to Jonah next. After he's swallowed in the fish, we're going to get to that in the next couple of messages. But this is something we have to pause and identify this main theme that goes through the book of Jonah, and that's this, that because of his relentless love, God does not give up on us, even when we give up on him. Aren't you thankful for that? God's grace will always catch up. I love this. God's grace runs faster than our sin. That's good. That, that just came. That, 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 man, thank you, Lord. God's grace runs faster than our sin. It just does. It outpaces our sin. And we see that in the grace that God showed the sailors in chapter 1 as well. See, these men got on a ship that were headed for Tarshish just like any other time. This was a route that they probably traveled many, many times before. But this trip was going to be different because this trip they were going to meet a guy named Jonah who then, even though he doesn't want to, introduces them to the living true God. And their lives are forever changed. Their eternities are forever changed because of this moment. And I'll bet you if you in heaven one day get to heaven and you find those sailors and you ask them, hey, was the storm worth it to get you here? They would say, absolutely. Even the storm that God sent to redirect Jonah was God's immeasurable, merciful, miraculous grace to sailors who didn't know it, who didn't even go looking for it, yet God sent it their way anyway. God's grace always catches up, even when we're not trying to run away from it. And it's also seen in the grace that he shows to Jonah. See, at the beginning of the story, we see the grace to the sailors, but God hasn't given up on Jonah either. The whale, I often, when I was a kid, I looked at the whale as God's punishment for Jonah. But as I get older, I start looking at it and I'm thinking, no, the whale or the fish, and I don't know whether it's a whale or a fish, we can fight about that. I don't think that matters as much. I believe that the, the fish will be hanging on God's wall, you know, like the, the billy bass or something when we get to heaven, you know what I mean? Like be hanging there right beside his throne room and he'll let us know, was it a whale or a fish? I don't know. I don't care. What I know is the fish was not God's punishment. The fish was God's grace. The fish is God's grace. And more times even than that, we're going to see three specific times we see God's grace on Jonah when he doesn't want it at all. Matter of fact, now he doesn't ask for it. He doesn't want it. He runs away from it. That God uses his sovereign control over creation to show, I'm gracious to you. So what does Jonah and these sailors' experience have to do with us in 2020? What does a story from thousands of years have to do with us today in 2020, a year that is probably the stormiest year that we've ever been on? 
does it have to do with us? Well, the first thing we have to understand is that God will still speak. God still speaks to us. And there's a lot of people today who are looking around at everything that's going on, and a lot of people are beginning to go through this process that we call deconstruction. I don't know if you've heard of this, but many people are leaving the faith in 2020 because of the hardships they're facing and the things they look around. It's causing them to question the existence and the realness of God. People who once were in church, people who once, who once walked with the Lord are going through this thing called deconstruction where they let all of their questions and all of their doubts consume them to the point where they come to the realization that God doesn't exist. See, what we're tempted to think in our flesh is that when bad things happen, God has given up. But God doesn't give up. God still speaks. In verse number one, we see the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, his prophet. You say, well, that's what God did with prophets. God came to prophets and spoke to them. But God, I'm not a prophet. No, you're not a prophet. If you're a child of God, you're a priest or a priestess. And that means you have direct access to God at all times. Prophets had to wait for God to speak. Priests can go to God to speak. The word of the Lord still speaks to us. Don't miss this truth. We're not prophets like Jonah, but he still speaks to us in a variety of ways. So how does he do that? Well, he speaks to us, number one, through his creation. We call this general revelation. In Romans chapter one, it says this, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power, his divine nature, having been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made, as a result, people are without excuse. What this is telling us is that a person can come to know who God is and understand his nature just by examining creation. That the heavens declared his handiwork, as the psalmist said. And as we look at creation, we realize that this creation must have a creator. And this is what human nature tells us. Human nature tells us there's no way that's possible. So what we have to do is come up with this ideas of evolution and ideas that all this happened by accident. What takes more faith? To believe that creation has a creator, that this design has a designer, or that everything just by accident happened to come together? You want to put it, do a test of that, and it never works. Take all these parts or these pieces of a watch or pieces of, 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 of Ikea furniture, put them in a bag and shake them together and everything just magically coming together the way they need to be. That's what evolution, that's what creation without a God tells us. That that's just what happened and that's how we're here. But you see, God speaks to us through his general revelation that we learn about his nature, we learn about his power, we learn about his purpose for us through nature. God loves us so much that he created this place, not just for us to enjoy, but to point us to his goodness. He also speaks to us through circumstances. We need to be careful that we know which are godly circumstances and which are evil circumstances. You see, Jonah thought, hey man, there's a boat going exactly where I want to go. This is great. Everything is working out. God must be okay with this retirement plan. You ever gone somewhere that you thought God was directing and you got there and you found out it wasn't God bringing you there? You ever done that? See, God uses circumstances to speak to the sailors on the ship. He uses circumstances to speak to Jonah as well. He'll use circumstances to speak with us as well. He also speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. The disciples of Christ have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Jesus promised us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to guide us into all truth and into all righteousness and how we should walk. See, the Holy Spirit is our conscience. It's our Jiminy Cricket, I guess, if you will, that speaks to us and says, danger, this is not where you want to go. This is not what you want to do. This is not what I'm asking you. It's not what I'm telling you. He also speaks to us through his word. 
where creation is general revelation, his word is special revelation, it's specific revelation where he says, this is what I want of you, this is my desire for you, this is my promise to you. His word is his revelation to us. He speaks to us, fourthly, through his word. The Bible is God's inspired, inspired word that's profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, and for instruction in righteousness. We have to be in the word on a daily basis, and if we're not we will begin to kind of not hear. The voice of God will begin to fade away in our lives. And see, one of the reasons that we're reluctant to get into his word is because we know that it's going to tell us something that we don't want to hear about what we want to do. It's a reason a lot of us fade away from it. Or we also don't believe that the God of the word is actually strong enough to come through with what he says in his word. So we have to understand that God still speaks to us. The second thing, the second lesson that we pull from the story of Jonah here in chapter one is that when God speaks, we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. When God said, go to Nineveh, Jonah was given a choice. He wasn't a puppet that God was directing and he just picked him up and placed him over in Nineveh. He said, go to Nineveh and then he left it up to Jonah to do it. This is the way God works with us. Sometimes I wish God would make me a puppet because I would like to just do what he wants to. But my will gets in the way. Does anybody else, can anyone else relate to that? My flesh, my will gets in the way. Jonah's will got in his way as well. And so we have a choice. When God speaks, we have a choice. Number one, I can choose my own way. How many of you do that way more than you wish that you did, right? Have you ever noticed that when God speaks, he doesn't always speak the way we want? He doesn't always say the things that we want to hear? Especially in today's culture, we can very easily get to a place where we put ourselves into this echo chamber where we only hear the opinions and the ideas and the viewpoints that we want to hear and that we agree with, and it just entrenches us into this even more. But you see, God is not our echo chamber. God is our truth speaker. He speaks truth that we need to hear. So hear the voice of the Lord. Hear the chamber of truth speaking to you, and then you have to make a choice. See, we don't always want to do what God says. The reason for that is simple. We think that we know better than God. Oh, come on, there's no way I can know better than an infinitely knowledgeable God. We say that, we attest to that, but we live in a different way, don't we? And this is where God's grace is so miraculous. I don't know how many times I'd put up with somebody continually going against the advice I've given them before I just say, you know what? You're going to do what you want anyway. Why would I even continue to waste my breath? But you see, God is patient and kind and loving, and he continues to pursue us in his grace. No matter how many times we turn our back on him. See, starting the run is easy. It's easy to run away from God. But man, it's hard to come back, isn't it? Because we have to swallow some pride. We have to overcome a lot. But God's forgiveness and his grace makes it as easy as it can possibly be. The rest of it is on us. All we have to do is come back. He opened the road. He made the way. He kept himself near us so we could see him in the time of difficulty. All we have to do is come back. So I can choose my own way. I can delay. And this is another thing that is tough because we have to understand that delayed obedience is still disobedience. Jonah may have gone down there with the mind, I'm just going to go to Tarshish and think about it for a little while. You know, I'm going to go drink some little, you know, like slushies with, with uh, you know, umbrellas in them and stuff like that. I'm just going to take a little vacay before I go and do this. Maybe that was his idea. But delayed obedience is always still disobedience. Raise your hand if you're a procrastinator. 
Okay, the true procrastinators will get around to raising their hand a little bit later on, right? This is what we do a lot of times with our obedience with God. We think, yeah, I know to do that, and I'll get to that, but first. We've all been there. We've all done that. And in the meantime, when God speaks, he expects for us to listen, and delayed obedience is still disobedience. And the th- I love what Pastor Erwin McManus says. He says, the mark of Christian maturity is what he calls a time lag. He says, you can tell the level of maturity in a disciple of Jesus based upon the time it takes for him to obey from the time he knows God's will. That's how well we can tell the mark of maturity in a follower of Christ. The time it takes them to obey in comparison to the time that they know God's will. And what we have to also understand is I can obey. That's the best thing that we can do. If Jonah had obeyed, what could have happened? We don't know. Number three, my sin will always impact others. My sin will always impact others. Sin didn't just affect him. It affected the sailors on the boat in chapter one. Later on, we're going to see his sin affects the Ninevites. And then his sin affects, we don't know, because it kind of leaves it wide open at the end. My sin will always impact other people. And that's because we've all hopefully lived long enough to understand that life is not all about me. You know, that I'm not living in a Derek-centric universe. You ever notice that things don't always work out exactly the way you want to or for you? That's because life's not all about me. And guess what? It kind of goes a little further. If life is not all about me, my sin will not be all about me either. That means the sins that I commit are going to have an effect on other people. As a leader within the church, the way I live my life will have an effect upon people that I worship with and that I'm in the church with. As a father, the way I live my life will have an effect upon my children and my grandchildren, the Bible says. As a husband, the way I live my life will affect, the, my, will affect my wife. Our sin and our actions and our, our sin or our righteousness does not just affect us, it affects other people as well. Our sin never just has a personal impact. It also, the thing is, it's never about us. It will always impact people, not just their living situation, but it will impact them for God. It will impact them spiritually as well. The way you parent or the way you spouse or the way you work impacts people spiritually too. Fortunately for us that God is in the business of straightening out our mistakes. And our prayer must be that when we sin or when we fall or when things go on, that God will still redeem that for his glory because that's what God does. God is in the business of redeeming our sin for his glory. But how many times have you talked to someone that said, yeah, I don't want to hear anything about your God because your people are so hypocritical. What you do in that point is not try to convince them about how, you know, you just met the wrong Christian. What you need to do is convince them that you just need to meet a gracious God. Because they're never going to find a better view of God by looking at more Christians. They just need to look at him. And then lastly this morning as we close out, I told you we are going to go through these four points fast. Are you proud of me? Sometimes God's grace is found in the worst place. Sometimes God's grace is found in the worst place. Sometimes we're tempted to think about grace as being something that is beautiful, and it is. But what makes his grace so beautiful is that it's found in such ugly places. Grace is not necessarily that wonderful when you're already living it up as it is. This is why we are not prone, 
we are not prone to think much about how good God is when things are going well because we just kind of get used to it. God's grace shows up in the worst places and in the most unusual of ways. See, God will make grace show up in ways that we can't explain because it can only be accredited to God. This fish showing up to swallow Jonah and then for three days not actually digest him, digest him is something that is really, when it comes to the physical universe, is something that's hard for us to believe. This is why a lot of people today don't believe the book of Jonah is actually a real story. They think it's just a metaphorical, kind of like fictional thing. Because there's like, there's no way that this great storm would take place just out of nowhere. There's no way that this fish could like keep somebody in their belly that would make this happen. We've seen evidence of that in nature. Uh, at times. But here's why I know that this is a real story. Because later on in the New Testament, Jesus, the Son of God, the man who cannot lie, said it was a real story. He said it really happened. He says, just as Jonah was in the belly for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the tomb for three days and three nights. But God's grace shows up in the worst of places. And what we have to learn from this is that God may let us run, but He'll never let us run away. God may let us run, but he'll never let us run away. He gives us the choice to disobey, but his grace always catches up. He'll never let us run away. He'll never let us go. When he asked the sailors to throw him overboard, I have little doubt that Jonah just thought, you know what, throw me overboard and end this. Forget it. I'm not going to go live my life in obscurity away from God as far as I can. He's not going to let me do that, so I'm just going to die. But God said, no, you're not going to die for your disobedience. I'm going to show you grace. I'm going to give you more than you deserve. You see, the wages of sin is what? Death. See, Jonah, when he rebelled, the moment he turned his heart away from Nineveh is when God, when sin should have reaped its reward of death. But God said, no, go ahead and get on that boat. I'm going to bring you back. Jonah said, you know what? No, I'm not going. I'm going to die. He said, no, go ahead. Jump, over the, jump, jump into that water. I, I still got you. And when he's in the belly of the fish, he's probably thinking, great, I'm fish food. And he's like, no, go ahead and think you're fish food. I still got you. Why? Because he'll let us run, but he'll never let us run away. God will show his grace in spite of us. God shows his grace in spite of us. This is Jonah's worst nightmare. If you've ever cleaned fish before, you know how terrible the insides of a fish is. Imagine spending three days in that. But you see, this was God's grace to Jonah. God's grace is shown to us in spite of us. What Jonah needed at that point was not just this beautiful story of like, you know, God bringing him off that boat, you know, stopping the storm because he said he was sorry and the boat coming into shore. What God, what Jonah was going to need was tough love. And sometimes we need that as well. And Jonah got tough love. He got tough love. His worst nightmare is exactly what he needed. And the question as we close out this morning is, what nightmare are you living through? And I believe we all collectively could say 2020 has been a collective nightmare to live through. And we don't know when it's going to end. And I'm not saying this has happened just because we've decided to run away from God. I'm not saying that. But when you're in the midst of the storm, where do you look? Where are we looking for relief? Are we looking for all kinds of different things that we, can try to, that we can try to manufacture or make happen? Or are we looking to the grace and the mercy of God? Maybe you're going through right now what you consider to be the worst nightmare situation. 
Stop and ask yourself, what is God saying to me in this moment? What does he want me to hear? And how should I respond? So this big idea that we've been looking at is because of God's relentless love, he doesn't give up on us, even when we give up on him, that his grace always catches up. And I think today there's one of three responses. Again, remember when God speaks, we have a choice. We need to respond. So there's three responses that we could make. One of three. And number one, maybe this is you. Maybe this message has kind of just kind of impressed upon your heart that I just need to stop and I just need to thank God for his grace. Because I have richly received it and I'm richly benefiting from it and his grace is evident in my life, I just need to stop and I need to give thanks to God for that and I also need to let, God, let people know how good God has been and how gracious he's been to me. If that's you, that's the response. Maybe today you're here, you're watching and you say, I need to accept God's grace of salvation. I need to trust him as my savior. I'm like the sailor on the boat who didn't know about God's grace until this moment and it's been impressed upon me that I need to call out to him for mercy. Then the Bible says, today is the day of salvation for you. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Maybe that's the response. Or maybe the other response is this that there's some disobedience going on in your life. There's some running that you've been doing, and at this very moment, God's grace has caught up because you feel convicted, you know it's not where you need to be, and you're on the edge of repentance, and what does it take? It's just to repent, to call on him and to say, Lord, just forgive me, be merciful to me. I repent of my sins, and I ran in the opposite direction. I don't want to run towards Tarshish anymore. I want to run towards Nineveh. I want to be in your will. And the beautiful thing about God is when we're ready to come home, he's always ready to receive. Always. So as we close our eyes and as we bow our heads this morning, what is your response? Thank you for your grace. I fall upon you for your grace. Or Lord, I need your grace over my disobedience in my life. What is your response today? I believe everyone in this room can give a response one of those three responses. I believe everyone watching today can have one of those three responses. What is your response? As we pray, Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the story of Jonah. Thank you for this chapter that shows us that, man, even though Jonah ran, even though Jonah was just like, it's like he just lost it. That even when we lose it and we lose our way and we run away, even when we chart a course in the opposite direction, your grace pursues us, and your grace always catches up. I pray this morning that your grace would catch up with us today as we respond to how you've spoken this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. As we Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.